0: Hi, and welcome back to Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do, the podcast about parenting in the climate crisis. I'm Katie Glassborough. And I'm Babita Sharma. Our next guest today is Dan Bates, who set up his own energy company, Rebel Energy, after working at BP for more than 20 years. Yeah,
1: not everybody sets up their own energy company, but Dan felt compelled and motivated to go it alone, because his main aim was to provide renewable energy to customers at a fair price to end fuel poverty and to really make a difference to fight climate change. So we called up with Dan
0: to tell us why and how. Well, Dan Bates, thank you very much for joining us today on Mum, Will the Plant Die Before I Do? We're talking in this series to amazing people doing amazing things, largely adults who are taking on issues within their sphere of expertise and trying to make a difference in the climate crisis. You are doing something, I would say, relatively unusual. Starting up your own energy company after several decades in the fossil fuel industry. So, we just wanted to ask you <laughs> yes, a little bit right. more about that very brave career.
1: Choice,
0: what led up to that? What your inspiration was? But, yeah, just tell us a little bit about, about that.
2: That career right, of you know, the first question. Is, you know, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. So, yeah, so you're right. I, I worked in the fossil fuel industry, well, for a fossil fuel company. Um, for nearly 20 years but whilst I was in that company I initially started working in the solar renewables area of the business which was which was great you know we're doing some great stuff and then I sort of transitioned into the gas power and renewables area of the business and um, yeah I this was a time 20 years ago when you know renewables are really expensive and you know we very much talked to the company I was at but gas was its bridging fuel in between this sort of into this low carbon world so I did yeah, I took in took in that and and worked in that you know in those areas. And then, as you say, Katie, I left uh, that company probably about four years ago now. Time flies to to set up, a, as you say, a, a energy supplier. And you know, to your question is why did I leave that fossil fuel company? I, I think one of them is that uh, there's a change in the actually the energy industry. You know, there was a in the energy industry was one where a lot of the power, and it probably still is, but it's starting to, to shift, and you'll see the shift over the next three, four five years, no doubt, is with the those big producers to actually, to though the power shifts much more to consumer as the energy, you know, renewable, the rise of renewables, it becomes a lot more localized, you know, community power schemes, et cetera, which we can perhaps touch on later. And I, I saw, so I saw this shift and I thought, why not, you know, why not get involved in that side of the, of the value chain? And also when I was in the company, I saw a lot of the energy suppliers and we'd seen quite a lot of those go out of business over the last three, four years. And I I saw these people come to our our door and speak to us. And I thought, this is an interesting, let's try and give it a go. So I I did a business plan and um, stepped out into the big wide well, away from that fossil fuel company four years ago. But also what really drove me was not only to, to as I say to, to be close to the customer and, and do something myself, but actually wanting to develop a business which is making a difference. A business which you know is doing renewable energy, but actually is also enabling everyone to participate in this energy transition going forward. I mean it's big, you know, the energy transition is huge. And you know I, I, I see the energy suppliers becoming energy services and helping to quit those you know individuals and you know fuel poverty is a big thing and cost of living obviously is is now you know a huge headline
1: when you can we name the company you worked at
2: yeah guys it's uh, bp it was
1: you say that with like
2: so it's bp um yeah so i worked yeah 20 years i was there um hmm. you know and i when i first first started as i said i was a renewable solar business and you know bp were doing great things in that space and you know they still do some good stuff with a company called light source
1: a fossil fuel company doing good
0: stuff um i mean but you wanted to do greater stuff i mean that's surely surely, surely you you saw, you saw the limitations of what a very very big company i mean just what it's in, interesting that we're talking to you now when just record profits have once again been announced in the mm. fossil fuel industry i mean it is it is up, up staggering what is it like 43 billion for shell last year i think you projected 160 billion for the Pounds are we talking
1: about
0: here? Uh, um, dollars. I think dollars. dollars. A bit, yeah. I mean, you know, the kind of profits that you just can't even begin to, you know, during, as you referenced earlier, cost of living crisis. So you must have been in, in, in BP trying to do good, but presumably thinking I need to be doing faster and caring about the customer, as you mentioned. Was that a motivation?
2: Yes, it, it was. And actually... Um, I guess you can walk in, work in an organisation. You can do a bit of influencing, but actually, to, to shift the dial, you actually need to you know, take it on yourself. And, that, and that's the other motivation to get out is actually I can do a lot more, you know, outside of BP and really try to to shift that dial.
1: But you were there for a long time, Dan. So you mm. you were immersed in the culture of that company. Um, how did that sit with you?
2: I think when i was in the areas i was in you sort of because yeah, we didn't uh, do anything to do with oil i was on a gas um and you know i did my bit on you know trying to change culture so we i did some great stuff and i, I empowered to do some great stuff so 2012 i helped set up a great mentoring scheme for social enterprises in the olympic boroughs and very much empowered to go and do that and it was a great organization in a sense to be able to fossil fueled bits aside but the development as leadership skills actually having empowered to go and you know, set up a whole mentoring scheme for businesses in the olympic you know in the olympic boroughs never have done that
1: um i talking also, about london here right london
2: borough, yes it's yeah. 2012 in london and also you know part of why i left was you know i got an opportunity to help try and influence you know strategy and you know i saw that strategy actually i thought that the rise of renewables is happening far quicker um than you know that energy transition than you know what bp perhaps saw it itself was doing so yeah i think it's difficult isn't it you look back and would have done this 10 20 years yeah absolutely but you know as as you're growing up and you get an organization when you join you know your early 20s and and stuff it's
1: you know you I don't
2: know. It's quite. It's quite difficult. I'm trying to justify it, aren't I? So I will step no.
1: Up. I think it's really um interesting to have this conversation with you because um we've been speaking to so many people, particularly in the first series, about how we can make differences mm-hmm. that are going to have small impacts, big impacts, but all of us in, as individuals. And actually, we realised that um there is no them and us in this conversation. And um, the them and us, I mean, you know the big players, the big energy companies, whoever you want to call it, however you want to dress it up. But um, we've kind of all got to come to this together at some point. And, you know, individual choices that we all make in our lives. I'm sure many of us probably stand by things that haven't necessarily been um, the most sustainable, but we get there or we're trying to get there. And I think the whole point of us having this conversation today is kind of asking people that have, that are doing something like yourself, Mm Um, why you're doing it? Why you decided to do it, and how it's going? Essentially,
2: yeah. And, and I think, yeah, you know, in that show, it's I could make a much more bigger impact to what I passionately believe—the you know, climate crisis and trying to avert that—outside of outside of big big oil.
1: So, how do you go about doing it? Then? <laughs> you know, not everybody can sit there and say, "Right, I'm going to do an energy <laughs> company today." Um, you know, Dur- during you- a cost
0: of living crisis. I mean, that I think that for me is really interesting about the the timing of your story, Dan, because, you know, you you have left a big energy company, BP. You've Mm -hmm. seen some of the shortcomings. You've seen some of the good stuff that they're trying to do. You've seen the potential. um, Presumably, as you say, you also are deeply concerned about the climate crisis as well. But you're setting up a renewable energy company that has responsible tariffs. You say you want to drive down energy poverty, and you're doing that in a cost of living crisis. Yeah, I mean that is um, an amazing mix of things to be trying to do all at the same time. How's that been for you? <laughs>
2: it's it's it's, it's <laughs> tough. It's tough. I mean, it. You know, the, uh, unfortunately, you know, the energy prices which you and I pay and everyone pays is set by wholesale markets. So I think more than anything, it's it's making sure that we are Priced well enough um, you know and sustainably enough, affordable is a very difficult thing to yeah you know, we used to say we want, you know we want to provide affordable energy for all, but if you know, the cost of buying electricity and gas it's not affordable you know, so for us, it's really about trying to make sure that we have a tariff and a cost base which we can be as efficient as possible and pass those savings on to consumers
1: how so let let's get back to the beginning of this venture mm. your sats. I don't know, where are you sat in a big boardroom, BP, working out what your severance package is going to be? I don't know. And you go, oh, I am going to have my own business and this is going to be happening in the next few years or next year or next month. I mean, talk us through how you go it alone.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You look back and think, I don't know. Actually, I sat there and thought I could do this and then I wrote a business plan. Um, you know, pass that business plan around a few friends and you got their input into it. And then it's one of those ones like, Do I, don't I, midlife crisis? Let's try and do it. Um, if it doesn't work out, you know, I've got experience to go elsewhere. And I think you just take that. I, I really believed in what I was doing. I really believed so why? In what was it plan. that
0: you believed in, Dan? Sorry to interrupt, but when you were sitting there and you came up with the business plan, what was it that was burning in you? What are the things that you wanted to do differently? like? that have come off that, that you have made happen in rebel
2: i think one of the things what launching a, an energy business is a key thing trying to show that business can be good business and good corporate citizens so i was a real driver as well I, and i go back to that working with social enterprises in london boroughs I was just so i can't think of the right right word but so motivated by what they were doing you know it was just incredible and i thought why can't i do that in but on a bigger scale so that was one of the drivers and then i think the other drive real driver was at the time, and obviously we just talked about, you know, cost of living was how can you make sure that everyone can participate in this energy transition? You hear a lot of things about time of use tariffs and electric vehicles and all of that, and let's be fair, i mean, probably about seventy-five percent of the population households can't afford to do that. So really, the question is how how can you get those to do it? And it's not—I don't have the answers to it. I've got an idea of a path we want, journey you want to go on, but I think unless you start to try and do something, that's when you start to shift it. It's a huge
0: issue.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, And it's difficult. It's a real difficult and it's still, you know, there's still lots of things which we need to, you know, to do to work through and, you know, questions we have and things. It's one of those journeys we're on really to try and try and do that so you know for me it's really passionately believing around making sure that we can equip people you know everyone the households to be able to you know benefit from this energy transition and whether that's having renewable solar panels on them electric vehicles all of that type of thing is really trying to you know, work through that really
1: so the company is called rebel energy Um, katie yeah. just mentioned it before but how does it work for the consumer yeah.
2: For consumers, so I guess on the, on a tin you just see as a normal energy supplier. You know we are like British Gas competitor, so you come to us and we'll supply you one hundred percent renewable energy, and electricity, and and gas. But what we're doing differently is we're trying to change a dial on you know, the types of people we're working with, looking at housing associations, working with them, and you know supplying their tenants. For us, it's 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 really starting to tell that story about why we're doing stuff differently. So for example, one thing we do differently is on gas that uh, we don't buy carbon credits to offset gas because what we do instead is we take an equivalent amount you would spend on the carbon credit and put it into nature-based solutions
1: so it might be people listening to this that don't understand carbon credits mm. and don't understand how that works so what are we talking about here
2: so carbon credits are carbon footprint i think that's you know, a lot of people talk about the carbon footprint when you go when you fly you know the gas you consume is a carbon footprint and you can put a, you can put a price to that so what a carbon credit does is it sort of offsets your carbon you've emitted either through your car, through your gas, through your energy. And that carbon credit is normally associated with a... Trees is obviously the, the one everyone sees. Trees have been planted, they absorb carbon. There's a scientific says that this carbon, I don't know, say one unit, and there's a value to it. You emit one unit equivalent of carbon, therefore that offset goes against it. So what you're then saying is we'll pay to basically to negate any carbon which you're offsetting through your through where you're living. Your lifestyle, your house. So, that in a nutshell is what carbon credits are. So, obviously, a lot more complicated than that, but it's a No, you broke spin. that
0: down very well. Thank you.
2: <laughs> thank you, Katie. That's carbon credits. Now, I worked BP, we did carbon um, credits, and for me, it has a narrow focus. you know It talks about carbon because actually, the energy, well, not the energy crisis, the climate crisis is there's much more than just carbon. You know, there's areas which are being destroyed, all of that type of thing. So, so for us, we, we've looked at this issue and said that whilst carbon is good, you know, it's off, some offset, it's doing something, it's actually quite a narrow focus. We want to look at a much wider focus. So actually we want to put our money in projects, which we call you know, climate-based you know, solutions, or but projects which have a have quite a far-reaching environmental benefit and we you know, science-backed stuff. So for example, seagrass is one example of projects which we back. So seagrass... Again, it does absorb carbon, but there's, you know, the carbon credit scheme doesn't really cover seagrass at the moment. So you can't get those carbon credits. But if you think of seagrass, so seagrass in, say, the estuaries around the UK or in, a, in the locks, uh, you can then start to put in oyster beds because your seagrass and the oyster beds there. of course, the oysters, as we know, filtration. So actually, you are not only removing carbon, you're actually cleaning that water. And that water is then clean and you're you know, regenerating and rejuvenating that whole environment. And this is quite difficult. If you go to somewhere where you see an area which has been rejuvenated or rewild, and you see butterflies, you see birds, you know something's happening there, but you can't always get that science-based, here's, a, here's an equivalent carbon credit for it, but you know something far bigger and far better is happening. So for us, it's about doing, doing something different. It's recognizing that the damage which we're doing to the environment, and then trying to do something which it puts back that, you know, repairs.
1: But the infrastructure within which you're working is still the system that is a conventional, traditional one that the big players all use British gas, BP,, da, 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 whoever. How is what you are doing different to what has gone before? Because you're still mm. working within the system, aren't you?
2: Well, we're supplying I mean, as households, we still need to get energy, don't we? So that is you know, the system which we do. How we're doing it different. Offsetting or restoring is one. On the renewable side, so on electricity side, we are building up our portfolio of uh, direct generation from small producers across the UK. So farmers who've got solar on their farms, we are taking that generation and selling that to our customers.
1: How do you decide who benefits from these schemes? If
2: you've got a demand for, say, 100 units of electricity, you try and make sure you get 100 units of generation matching. Now, we're a growing business, so we're always constantly paying catch-up. You then are offsetting, not offsetting, you're buying what you call Rego's, so renewable generation guaranteed export, completely tripping up over that whole acronym. But it's effectively, you know, similar to carbon credits, there's renewable generation sites, and you know, there's a pool of certificates from those sites which we buy to off, you know, to make sure that we can save it's 100 percent renewable energy being supplied to our customers. But for us, what we want to do is to say to our customers, you know, Katie. You're, you know, you turn on your plug today and that energy is coming from this solar farm over in Hereford. It, it's building up infrastructure and building up that narrative, really.
0: I can't imagine listening to you talk when you're trying to basically go above and beyond in your supply chain, in your ethics, how you operate. Mm-hmm. And then you're operating, as Bab said, in the same field as all of the big energy producers all who are enjoying loopholes from windfall taxes, which means that they can fund new oil and gas infrastructure through the loophole. And it feels like such an unfair playing field to me. I don't know. Is that how it feels to you? Like a company like you trying to go above and beyond and do all of these new and different things. Mm. And you're still constrained by these big oil and gas companies getting huge subsidies
2: yeah so i mean our, our direct competitors aren't some of the oil, gas producers we're not producing oil and gas it was all you know for supplying but is, you're
0: supplying energy case, you're all effectively supplying energy supplying energy
2: aren't yeah. you yeah i i think it's you know for me it's it's leading you know it's, it's leading by doing something different leading by example and i think the as the energy transition we're not going to be 100 renewable wind or solar overnight we've got to go on a journey so we want to take you know our con- our customers and Future customers on that journey, but also lead by example of what we're doing. Yeah, at the moment we've got eleven thousand customers. You know, and you think the total households in the UK is around about twenty six million. So we have got a tiny, tiny little percentage of a market. You know, within it's lost in rounding really. As we start to build up that customer base, and we start to say how we're doing stuff different, how we're rebelling against the the norms of buying carbon credits, as we talked about, or making sure that we are can directly link up. Your energy from small scale producers. You know, as long as we start doing that narrative and leading by example, hopefully others you know, start to follow, and we start to attract customers. And of course, in this market, if people get attracted to us because we're doing something different, the competition will see that, and the competition will also change and
0: evolve. Babs, other people have talked about um that too in this series about the, the leadership and that kind of that gumption of just doing something and the amplifying effect that that might ultimately yeah. have. Is that has that been like a motivation to you? as well. I mean, it must have come at a huge personal cost as well of you know going for it and having that leadership when that must have felt, I presume, quite lonely at times. I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, it is. I, I think ultimately I, I just want to turn a dial, as it were, on climate. And I think we all can take a we all we can all do something on this. And I don't know if if I look if I didn't do this, I think I'd because I've got this burning urge to do it, if I just stayed where I was or go to a competitor, I think I'd have regrets later on in life. I think you just got to try and do it now. I might fail, but you know that's a risk. As a risk, I'm taking.
1: I hope you don't mind me kind of asking all these very basic questions about renewable energy because I just want to get my head around it a little bit. But mm-hmm. I'm also keep can't get away from the fact that you've made that big decision to leave after a couple of decades in a major company, and that you're going it alone. I mean, what? How has that transition been for you? as an individual
2: it's been um challenging
1: mm.
2: you know when you, you you're there in an organization where you, know, you don't need to worry about payroll you get paid you don't need to worry about you know, human resources you as UIT, your computers there. you get a problem with computers you're just going to it so all these bits he's learned from scratch so it's been a challenge because you you start to build it up but also as an excitement in that and i think yeah capacity. Whereas perhaps what no way I could do this. You do do it. You know, I think there's lots of things you do in life. You think I could ever do that. You try it and, and you can do it.
1: Yeah, but some people so, don't, Dan. Some know, people don't do that because they're fearful of, you know, you're breaking it down, like you said about the payroll. But it's a massive factor, that security of a full-time job. And I think this is where it comes into the kind of conversation around what differences can we make when it comes to sustainability. And it's always been seen as something that's kind of a, a bit of a, not an afterthought, but something that's never reachable because it just seems too much of an obstacle to get over, too much of a hurdle yeah. to kind of get through. Um, but but you, you're doing it. But I mean, I, I think what I'm trying to ask is, how are you able to supplement that, that passion, that thirst for wanting to drive, take this risk?
2: um as well supporting wife i think was a bit is a big thing <laughs> it's always Without a supporting spouse always mention partner yes. or <laughs> grandparent is, or sibling
1: it, isn't
2: it which which has been great actually um friendships friends you know because I, I think you know have this idea so you have this conviction and i had this business plan which i was passionate about and it has been hard you know we, we've been through a journey where when we first really started launching the business they had that whole energy crisis in 2021 which saw you know, we we're 50 suppliers, domestic suppliers in the market. Now we're down to 17. We had a team of eight. We're about to, to do big things. We had to get rid of basically most of the team because just to survive and then build that up again. So it's been, it's been a really challenging um thing. But I, I think I still inside of me I'm still believe what I what I'm doing from business plan. And surrounded by you know, very supportive family, very supportive friends. And I guess the more and more you do it, the more tenacious you get, actually. You know, when you take that first risk, you think, actually, it wasn't as bad as I feared. <laughs> and then you get to that next one, and it's like, actually, that wasn't as bad as I feared. It was not that great, but it wasn't that bad. And I did it. I've survived. I'm still here. Nothing has happened. And still, my family around I me. And I think you, I guess it's one of those, is you, you don't realise it when you're on that journey, but you, if, I look, if I look back and think, "Bloody, it's four years and what I've gone through." If I, if you told me at that start of the journey, "This is where a bit, and this is all the stuff we go through," I'd probably run a mile.
1: Mm. It's a bit like it, us with this podcast, Dan. <laughs> 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 it's completely like we when Kate and I sort of thought like we're going to do this. It was against the narrative of what was happening in the media landscape about climate crisis, right? Mm. Like you know. Or you can't have these conversations or you know people want to know how you talk to your kids about climate change or people want to know about the science but there wasn't that kind of in between that we wanted to go into and we thought can we do this can we not people are going to get it and you you just got to kind of jump
2: in i suppose i'm setting you on series two so there you go it has worked (laughs) sure
0: what would you say Dan, to people i mean when I said at the beginning, you launched a energy company mm. and it's a cost of living crisis. I mean, I can't even stir the pasta and talk to my kids about homework at the same time. So what you're multitasking is a lot more significant <laughs> than what I'm multitasking in my life. But what we're really wanting to do, I think, with this, with this series is talk to really amazing people doing amazing things and hopefully maybe having an impact on other people who might be thinking, I don't know what I can do. Um, But we've all got our our little niche things that we can do. And I think often we sit on them and and think that won't really make a big difference. Um, Who would have I mean, the fact that you have created a whole new energy company, Dan, is Hmm. I find just extraordinarily remarkable. So what would you say to somebody maybe listening who has this kind of shell of an idea who's potentially paralyzed by fear about the climate crisis about their kids about their nieces their nephews their grandchildren mm. what would you say to them
2: i think go for it i think it's nothing i don't you know if i look back i don't think there's anything magical or, or anything i i did i just took that well why not just give it a go i
0: but think i think,
2: you know, I think... and it, it's really difficult to say it is really so hard you know i'm there think as you ask that question i'm thinking Yeah, and I I don't mean to be so uh, off. It's just, just go for it. But but I do think there's something around. If you we have this huge, you know, there is this crisis. Absolutely, and we can't just sit here and do nothing about it. And I think, but sometimes that's got to take. It's got to take a risk. It's got to take a risk you're prepared to take. And I think there's something about going ahead and doing it. Um, And I think also if I if I look at it. When I when I first started this, it was always let's give it six months. If it doesn't happen in six, if it doesn't work in six months, we're going to do something else. And then that six months came, so like, okay, let's do another six months because it's going well. Um, I'm yeah, you know, I'm beyond that now. I'm, I'm not thinking I want to go in another six months because things are you know that's you know building and momentum's going. But I think is once you take back those those small steps and yeah, you know, there's a huge t- yeah, you could stay there and say right, my aim is to completely you know. With, you know, avert the whole climate crisis and that's my goal but actually you need to break that down into small bits so for me it was around can i write a business plan yes i've done it can i try and get funding you go out and get funding i've got funding so it's actually then it's taking that thing you want to do breaking it down into small bits and then starting that journey now as you hit those what you see as hurdles you know that if you get there and i wasn't able to write a business plan i think you you say right okay i'm not going to do that then in perspective, you don't get the funding, what's well, not going to happen and, and all these incremental bits, I think you just need to break down what is a very scary end goal and just break it down into into steps and start doing those steps. I think that's probably the way I looked at it and and got and and did that because it's huge. as you say, it's like you set up an energy company, as you say, that's winking yeah, I did. buy me. <laughs>
1: that's, that's did? I'm still <laughs> thinking really Blimey listening <laughs> to you, that? Dan. I'm I'm mm. still like a bit gobsmacked. But also Those incremental
0: course, steps. Sorry, Babs. Yeah. It keeps coming up, doesn't it?
1: Those mm. incremental steps, kind of what is what your skill set is, how you can then use that mm-hmm. for change. But also how you support yourself, Dan. That's a big thing, right? Because um, you know, we've been talking to people on the series who saying, well. I have an idea but I kept in a job that meant that I could support that idea but it was a lot of hard work to kind of get it going because of course you know we have to earn a living right
2: yeah and you know I was I was fortunate you know I left on good terms a BP that gave me you know a bit of savings to be able to do it which was that sort of six months was like okay get me in the six months and then that cash runs out and then I need to go and do something now I was fortunate because I had that six months now I, I know some people won't necessarily have those means but yeah you know, there's grants out there so there's this you know we haven't I haven't taken any grants because I haven't needed to but there's lots of you know, small business grants even to give you know five thousand ten thousand pounds to get a idea to go so again I, when I first started it you know perhaps I would have looked at doing something you know something like that to start and I think it's there's always a there's always a, a means I think to do it and I will um as long as it's not something completely outlandish and completely wacky which is very difficult but I think is you know going back to break it into small steps and it's that it's that initial thing even if you're in, in you know I started this when I was at BP and I wrote a business plan at weekends when I was at BP I you know, wouldn't have left BP to write a business plan because that was a bit too far of a you know, too far of a jump but, but again once that business plan was done once I started talking about you know that business plan was done i decided okay i'll leave bp to try and give it a go to try and get investment because that you know i couldn't do investment raise well as i was a bp and again it's that you know, in, you know it's breaking something down to what do i need to get to my you know, to ultimate goal
1: have your colleagues former colleagues looked at what you're doing thinking oh, okay we could have gone there I,
2: I don't know. Um, I speak, you don't yeah, care.
1: <laughs> you know, I, it doesn't yeah. really matter, does it, really? a silly
2: question. Well, I, got, I mean, I've got one of my old colleagues is, is working with me, um, you know, when we talked about this um, climate, climate-based solutions thing, he we, we do it through, we don't do it as rebel and make money. We, we take that equivalent money and put it into a charity we've set up called Rebel Restoration. And he's helping me do that. He's left BP and he's, you know, he's helping me do that. Um, and, yeah, there's a few people in the past, especially, you know, 18 months in, um, you know, a few people sort of you know, wish I, w- I could do something like you're doing in a sense of taking that risk and taking that step out.
0: Well, maybe you'll encourage more people to do that, because I have a feeling, obviously, to tackle the climate crisis it will take a huge amount of effort and thought yeah. from billions of people around the globe. It doesn't rest on any one person's shoulders, does it? And it's won't yeah. just rest on entrepreneurs' shoulders. But I think doing something like you're doing is very entrepreneurial. And I really mm. hope that um, it might influence other people to make the kind of tenacious choices that you have made by listening to your story.
2: Yeah, and, and I think just the other, other thing I, w- I would say is, you might have, have an idea, sound it off others. Because it's very good, you can sit in and think, oh, this idea is brilliant, fantastic. But actually, once you start talking to others about it, you know, your confidence, your friends, your family, you then, you—that's know, the start, because and then you're already taking that risk of going out and you know, starting to build out that way, and you know, get their input into it. And then, you know, that's what I did, did what I did, and then uh, actually, once you start doing it, you you surround yourself by people far cleverer than you as well.
0: I was going to raise a question like, does it help your climate anxiety to be doing something? But that presume is, presumes that you—I presume everyone has climate anxiety because I'm riddled by it. But does mm. it? Does it help your your feelings about the climate crisis by by doing such a kind of brave action like you're doing? I think it
2: does actually. I'm I'm doing my best I can. Is it is it the right thing to do? I don't know. I think it might be the right thing. to do. That's what I see. And if it's not, I'll adapt and evolve it. But I think it I think it does. Is I'm I'm doing something. I'm being proactive. I'm not being reactive. So yeah, it, it does. Although you know I have been. Again, yeah, back to affordability i've I still got my diesel car i've had for the last six years um because i can't afford couldn't can't afford to change it but i've got an ev or an order so that 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 clears out that bit of conscience of, of me but yeah, you know and i, and I t- you know at home i you know we don't have solar panels you know I live in a small house in in london we don't have solar panels yet but yeah i think Doing what I'm doing is helping because I feel like I'm trying to to move things forward. But I think there's still a lot of things I can do in a personal, in a personal world as well, even more so. Oh, um, all of us, with choices. all of us.
1: What does it look like then for you in the next few years? Because of course, you're a man that does business plans and you have a projection mm. and you have a forecast <laughs> and all those money, money terms. What does it look like?
2: So I want to build, I mean, our ambition is, you know, it'd be great to be the biggest energy supplier in the uk you know it's why not in a few years but more than anything i want to build a sustainable business a business which you know financially sustainable and is doing the right things is actually seen by various stakeholders as being a good business and we, you know, we're going down the route at the moment of getting the um they've come across a B corp um b corporation certification for our business um because I think that demonstrates you're not only doing stuff environmentally, but actually looking after your suppliers, looking like after employees and you know, you're you being a good corporate citizen. So really do you want to do? You know, do that. And, you know, to get supplying renewable energy and changing that dial where actually we start to see people mimicking us and copying us and what we're doing. But that, that's probably the best. Sometimes are you doing well? You can see if people are mimicking what you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the best compliment, isn't it? And uh, maybe buying some lovely flowers for the very supportive family members. Absolutely. That That's have been on this doubt. journey with you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's shadow, shadow of a doubt.
1: <laughs> Dan, thank you. It's been really interesting talking to you. I remember when Katie and I decided that... We would love to have you on the podcast. The idea that you go and do your own energy company is like, what? (laughs) Who does that? Um, But you're doing it. And um, Mm. yeah, we're going to follow it with interest. Thank you so much
0: for chatting to us today. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks Thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. The wonderful Dan Bates chatting to us there about taking his experience of the fossil fuel industry and trying to basically reimagine what being an energy company could be like which is very inspiring the reaction yeah. to all the different things that he's kind of yeah how he's reacting to so many different circumstances that we're living a cost of living crisis and uh climate crisis and he's he's really trying to do things differently what a
1: guy yeah he is trying to do things differently and also he doesn't have um, a set formula to it either which I, which was interesting to hear given the amount of experience that he's got yeah. in the energy sector um, but also just saying you know you've got to take the risk and you've just got to try and if you land on your backside then fine but at least you can say that you've tried um, so we're going to follow Dan's journey with interest and see um, how he gets on.
0: Coming up next on Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do we chat to the former climate activist now poet Emma Must on her decision to stop frontline campaigning and turn to the power of the written word in the battle against the climate crisis. That's coming up next. Mum, Will
2: the Planet Die Before I Do? is a Corner Shop Media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Kuti Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.